Thank you, Albert, for praying for our veterans and today. So it's good to be back. I've been gone uh, the past two weeks here. Um, some of you don't know, I was, I was at Pastor Billy's church two weeks ago, um, and it's always fun preaching there. They, you realize you shouldn't wear a sweater if you preach there because you start sweating because um, they egg you on with the amens and the clapping and so um, it's always fun to, be, to, be, to go back there and preach the word and serve them in that way. And then last week, um, I was at Pastor Hoyle's church. Uh, it was a Spanish-speaking church, so um, I preached in Ukrainian. Uh, no, I didn't. Uh, so, uh, but it's, it's, it was a joy to preach there and to, to serve the people. And it's always good to see other churches uh, who we partner with and who we support and to serve them in that capacity. So, you know, maybe my encouragement to you is, you know, one Sunday you could go there and just see the people and fellowship with them. And it is a remarkable thing what God is doing in other churches just around the Bay Area. Um, so um, it's good to be home in the sense of being back here at Gateway Bible Church. Uh, it's good to be in front of you this morning. So just a couple things uh, and sort of housekeeping. Uh, we are starting our Nehemiah series uh, next Sunday. Pastor Rod will be back and kicking us off with our series on Nehemiah. So just an FYI, we are taking a break from 2 Samuel. I know that may hurt some of you, but don't worry. We will be back in 2 Samuel in the fall. And so, uh, again, we're kicking off our Nehemiah series with Pastor Rod. And uh, throughout the summer, we'll have our elders in addition to some other men who will be preaching the Word of God to us. And so please uh, keep us all in your prayers as we go through the book of Nehemiah uh, and as we labor and as we study the Word so that we could bring you the Word Sunday after the Sunday. And it'll be an exciting time uh, to have men preach the Word of God to us. There is an ongoing joke among, among some of us, the men, that um, when I preach uh, the, the children's classes, they, they didn't get to their, their teaching um, yet. So um, I take that seriously. And one day I will preach here until 1.30 p.m., until our time is out. Uh, and then you guys will complain. Uh, no, I'm just kidding. Uh, so, again, you know, as, as a young preacher, I've been told you don't have much to say, so um, please keep it short at times. But, you know, as the Spirit leads, uh, one day I will preach as long as Pastor Rod. Um, but, you know, I'm thankful for the time that we have here together. Uh, our passage this morning is Psalm 27. Psalm 27. Psalm 27, it's the whole chapter, and I'm actually going to read it for us this morning. And so if you could turn your Bibles to Psalm 27, if I could ask the congregation to please rise as we read the Word of God together this morning. <clears throat> Reading Psalm 27 of David, the Lord is my light and my salvation, whom shall I fear? The Lord is a stronghold of my life, of whom shall I be afraid? When evildoers assail me to eat up my flesh, my adversaries and foes, it is they who stumble and fall. Though an, an army encamp against me, my heart shall not fear. Though war rise against me, yet I will be confident. One thing have I asked of the Lord that will I seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. 
For he will hide me in his shelter in the day of trouble. He will conceal me under the cover of his tent. He will lift me up upon a rock. And now my head shall be lifted up above my, my enemies all around me. And I will offer in his tent sacrifices with shouts of joy. I will sing and make melody to the Lord. Hear, O Lord, when I cry aloud. Be gracious to me and answer me. You have said, seek my face. My heart says to you, your face, Lord, do I seek. Hide not your face from me. Turn not your servant away in anger. O you who have been my help, cast me not off. Forsake me not, O God of my salvation. For my father and my mother forsaken me, but the Lord will take me in. Teach me your way, O Lord, and lead me on a level path because of my enemies. Give me not up to the will of my adversaries. For false witnesses have risen against me, and they breathe out violence. I believe that I shall look upon the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Wait for the Lord. Be strong, and let your heart take courage. Wait for the Lord. Let us pray. Lord, this is your word, and we hold it in the highest regard. Father, as just a servant, as your tool, we need you now. We need your spirit, Lord. Use me mightily as I speak from your pulpit, from your word. May you open our eyes. May you open our ears. Lord, let this sink in and see how beautiful your word is and how beautiful you are, O oh Lord. Thank you for the people who are here. Be with the people who are on vacation. Thank you for Gateway Bible Church. Stir our hearts now. All these things we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. You know, we often approach the Bible and read it just as we, as we normally do, which, which we should and which is a good thing. However, the more we grow in God, grow in prayer, and grow in the gospel, we find that the Bible actually reads us more than anything. And really, that's what this psalm is doing. It's reading us. This psalm is penetrating our hearts and it's moving our minds really to think upon the Lord. As we recall, Pastor Rod has preached through First and Second Samuel now for almost two years with little breaks in between. And so we know really about David's life. I mean, David's life is on full display in First and Second Samuel. And so we're reminded in these books in First and Second Samuel that David is, of course, constantly in trouble right? He was running from Saul. He was um, going up against the Philistines. He was even betrayed by his own family at times. So in this psalm, historically, it really doesn't indicate where in David's life this psalm was penned. Some say it was during the time he was running from Saul and yet to be crowned king. There are others who mention that it was during his old age, and that he was looking back on his life and all the things that he went through. Regardless of when this was written, we see where, where David's dependence was this whole time. You see, a man after God's own heart sought God with all his heart. A man after God's own heart sought God with all his heart. So as we go through Psalm 27 today, there's a couple things I want you to notice um, 
there's really a change of tone here. And you really see the, the human heart develop in Psalm 27. You'll notice the different moods. Verses 1 to 6, right, we, we, we see just this confidence in the Lord or in God. And then 7 to 12, there's this uh, abrupt change where David now is talking in the, in, the, in the first person. He's praying to God. And then he kind of circles around and concludes with verses 13 to 14. And, and just saying his confidence and waiting on the Lord. And so for some of us, we, we can relate to David in this psalm because we have different moods, right? I mean, one moment we're, we're confident, then we're anxious. There's times where we're trusting God with all our hearts, and all of a sudden fear really overtakes us. But the comfort we find from this psalm is that these moods mirror David's heart. And it looks like our hearts as well. Therefore, I ask that you let this passage examine you today. Some questions we seek to ask today is, what do you fear? What do you worry about as you're living the Christian life? What's making you anxious this morning? I mean, it's all part of the Christian life. It's all a part of just trusting God. So my prayer is that in spite of what we're going through together, both corporately and personally, my prayer is that we are seeking God. David helps us realize the importance in seeing the beauty of God and to never lose focus on our great Savior, Jesus Christ. So my aim this morning is this, my purpose is the beauty of the Lord gives us the confidence to cry out to God and convicts us to wait for Him. The beauty of the Lord gives us the confidence to cry out to God and convicts us to wait for Him. Question, what are you seeking? Maybe it's comfort, maybe it's money, maybe it's a sheltered life, a perfect family, maybe it's health. If it's something other than God, it's your idol. And so we're battling our idols this morning, all of us. If you're seeking something other than God, then that is your idol. Let us look at David's psalm here and understand that only God can bring us everlasting joy, which takes us to our first point. point. Only God can bring us everlasting joy. The first point we see here in our text, we find David's confidence in the Lord in verses 1 to 6. David's confidence in the Lord. We see David expresses his confidence by recalling what God is to him, his light, his salvation, his stronghold. In essence, we see that this was David's experience, David's experience, right? So we, the first thing we find that David calls is, he calls the Lord his light or my light. It's a very personal word from David. And we are aware of the intimacy that David had with God because of the Psalms, because of everything that he's been through, right? And, I mean, sometimes we, we talk about maybe our spouses or our parents or our children. In my case, it would be like my Thea or, or, or my Piper. And so David expresses this intimate fellowship he has with God. And so David begins with my light, my salvation. And it's interesting to note why David calls God his light. As we all know, the opposite of light is darkness. And so the question is, do you think 
David experienced darkness in his life, and if he'd been through First and Second Samuel, we know he did. You bet he did. And so Davis, David clear, gives us a clear understanding in verses 2 and 3 on what he was going through. Look at verses 2 and 3. Evildoers would draw near and attack me. They come to destroy me. Armies were waiting for him all day long. People, people waging war against him. That was darkness. That's the darkness David was going through. And so David reveals the light that could only shine ever so brightly in his life, which is God. And for us, light is a word we are all somewhat familiar with in the Bible. To point out a few, Psalm 4, 6, lift up the light of your face upon us, O Lord. Psalm 104, you are clothed with splendor and majesty, covering yourself with light as with a garment. Job 38, when God speaks, where is the way to the dwelling of light? And then we have the Apostle Paul in 1 Timothy 6, talking about Jesus, who alone has immortality, who dwells in unapproachable light. You see, the Bible is filled with God or Christ as light. However, if you look at this description in Psalm 27, the description in which God is called light is very unique. It's the only time in the Old Testament where God is called light. And so light exposes the darkness, really, that is inside of us, in addition to what surrounds us. You know what else does that? The gospel does that. The gospel exposes our sins. It brings us into fellowship with our God, with my God. Therefore, in thinking about darkness, we find that we are most vulnerable when in the dark. And for us, fear and worry at times can overcome our hearts. And darkness makes us vulnerable. But in the most vulnerable places comes the God of light. Again, the light penetrates the darkest places in our hearts and minds. Yet it brings clarity, it brings life and truth. It eventually expels evil. Do you call God your light? Do you want to see this light? Next, we find David call God my salvation, my salvation. You see, before we came to Christ, we were in darkness, enemies of God. It says we were at war with God, and we didn't even know it. Romans 8, 7, for the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God. But it is in darkness that salvation finds us. In Spurgeon's words, salvation finds us in the dark, but does not leave us there. Salvation brings us out of darkness into the glorious light. And we see here salvation, that word salvation in our text represents a deliverance. David's confidence in the Lord is that he would deliver him time and time again. The, the great rescuer who is God will bring victory. If you think about it, where, where does David recall so great a salvation in Israel's history? Right? I mean, David knows the word of God. He knows the story of Moses. He probably memorized it by now. And so he recalls this 
so great of salvation in the Exodus story, the great deliverance that all of Israel knows. The Exodus story is that the people of God were slaves in Egypt. They were in chains and abused by men. Yet God, through his covenant promise, sent Moses to deliver his people. Against the greatest army on earth in Egypt, God rescued his people through one man. As we look at David's personal life, where God continued to rescue him from the hands of evil men, as mentioned in verses 2 and 3, we find that there is true deliverance. He experienced true deliverance, and that's why he calls God my salvation. The third thing we find here is David calls God his stronghold. His stronghold. If you read on through Psalm 28, David gives a similar description in verse 8. Right? He says, a saving refuge for his anointed. A saving refuge for his anointed. And the image here is really a military image. It's, a, it's when we think of stronghold. The image is, is a safe place. If you remember when David was in the cave of Adullam, right, when, when Saul was seeking him, we find that, that David writes Psalm 57, and he also writes Psalm 142 when he was in the cave. Right? The enemy was seeking out his life, yet he was safe, and he cries out to God. Let me read for you Psalm 57, verse 1. Be merciful to me, O God. Be merciful to me, for in you my soul takes refuge, my safe place. In the shadow of your wings I will take refuge to the storms of destruction pass by. In all this he was safe because he knew God was there. And this, this stronghold is really scattered throughout all the psalms. If we're reading our psalms, you'll see this stronghold, right? Psalm 91.1, He who dwells in the shelter of the Most High will, will rest in the shadow of the Almighty. You know, when a young child is afraid, the safest place they want to be is in the arms of a parent. Sometimes I, I walk with Piper to the store, my daughter, and so when we're walking along and, and there's a big truck that comes by, Right? She says, carry me, Daddy. She really holds me really tight. She gets really scared of cars and big trucks. And so she, she, you know, I lift her up, and she just, you just feel this big squeeze. So why is that? Because the safest place for her is in the arms of her father. And so we have the same type of access to God. You see, fear and worry should cause us to go to God and hold tightly to his promises, to his truth, the truth that he will never leave us nor forsake us. That's the safe place. That's the stronghold. The great psalm of Moses in Psalm 90, what does he say? Lord, you have been our dwelling place. You have been our safe place in all generations before the mountains were brought forth or ever you had formed the earth and the world from everlasting to everlasting. You are God. You are my Father. You know, before I move <clears throat> further, let me, let me be clear here. Bad things will happen to us. Bad things will happen to us. The message here is not, if we trust in God, we will be safe. That's not the point. 
Look back at verse 2. What's the first word you see there? When. When evildoers assail me, when they eat up my flesh, when an army encamps against me, when war arises against me. When you read the Psalms, the great poets or writers assume that bad things will happen. It never says, he will keep me safe from the day of trouble, but, it's, but they say he will keep me safe in the day of trouble, in the day of trouble. Friends, trouble will come into your life so that you realize the greatest thing you will ever need is Jesus Christ. Why is that important for us to know? You know, I know um, Pastor Howell spoke on Mark 12 last week. And it's the, you know, it's the command that, that we should love the Lord God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. But really, if you think about it, it was Jesus who did that. He was the only one who loved God with all his heart, soul, mind, and strength. But here's the thing. God let Jesus experience all the hells on the cross. Jesus experienced all the troubles that we could ever imagine. And he did it for you and I. He did it to show that he trusted in his Father more than anything. Right? He experienced all the troubles like we would. Yet he was sinless. Therefore, the call is to trust in God, our Father, our Savior, our stronghold. So when enemies come and attempt to take our life, we can say that we have God, my light, my salvation, and my stronghold. Next thing we see in our text here is really the main thrust. It's starting in verse 4. We find David's desire. David's desire. Right? And a lot of us are familiar with this text or this verse. David's one great desire is found here. And it's really a, a continuation of, of being safe. And here's what David's saying. He'll be safe if he has one thing. He'll be safe if he has one thing. He doesn't desire health, wealth, family, friends, a mighty kingdom, success, or any of those things. What does he desire? He desires to be in God's presence in his house. He wants to see God in the temple. Of course, we know, some of us, uh, historically, we know that the temple was not completed until after David's death, right? It was his son who actually completed the temple, Solomon, who completed the temple. In addition, the, only the, the priests were allowed in the temple, right? So if you think about it here, David looked over his kingship and desired this intimate relationship with God. David's one desire was not his own kingdom and the authority that it gave him. He desired what the priests had access to, dwelling in the house of the Lord. He didn't care about his kingdom. In the same way the gospel is portrayed, Jesus desired a relationship with us, therefore he left his heavenly kingdom to establish true fellowship between us and God. And just as a side note here, I want to mention this. Commentators are actually still arguing whether this was a literal desire or not. Okay? And I, I've went through many notes, many books, trying to, you know, see where I land on this. And C.S. Lewis actually helped me out 
in understanding this particular stanza in our text. So I want to be careful in saying that I believe this is not just a spiritual desire of David. In other words, David is truly seeking both physical and spiritual desire in enjoying God. Here's what I mean. C.S. Lewis in his book, Reflection in the Psalms, gives us the context of the Jews and poets during the time. He says this, and I quote, The Jews were not, like the Greeks, an analytical and logical people. The ancient Jew experienced not only a spiritual form of God, but the reflection of God through the worship of his people. End quote. So when the psalmist talks about seeing the Lord here, or any, anywhere in the psalms, longing to see him, he most often meant seeing him through the worship in the temple. Psalm 68, verses 24 to 26 Your procession is seen, O God, your procession of my God, my King, into the sanctuary. The singers in front, the musicians last, between them virgins playing tambourines. Bless God in the great congregation, the Lord, O you who are of Israel's fountain. So David wouldn't say, like some of us today, that he felt the presence of the Lord. But what he saw really was the Lord's presence. And among amongst the, the worship of the people. He saw the Lord's presence among the worship of the people. And so Lewis gives insight that ancient Jews joined really the tangible elements like worship and the intangible, which was, spirit, which was the spiritual side of knowing and seeing God. Let me give you an example. Okay, the church is a unique setting we have here um, every Sunday, Right? I mean, we, we come together every morning. Um, an elder will come up here. He starts us off. He opens the word of God or opens up in prayer before worship. Okay, and then the music leader, he comes. He leads us in singing and praising God. And all of us are standing side by side. And I, I don't sing well. I'm tone deaf, as my wife would say. But I don't care because I'm just singing to God, right? And all of us are doing that. And after, after worship, the elder then leads us in a pastoral prayer, where you see the adoration, the confession, right, the thanksgiving, the supplication. He's really presenting the request of the congregation from the pulpit. This is all in a church setting. Thereafter, we find the most important thing in the service together, where the preacher, or in our case, Pastor Rod, will open with the word. And here's the beauty. Pastor Rod, or the, the preacher, or the pastor, op- opens up the word of God, and all of us are just gazing at the pulpit. And we're not looking at the preacher. We're not worrying about the preacher. It's never about the preacher. But we hear from God. Friends, that is a unique setting. When we're gazing upon the pulpit and the word of God is preached to us and God is speaking to us. And it carries out over through the life of the body. It carries out in other parts of the world in Bolivia Right, where people are sitting in churches. Last year I was in a church that was the size of the stage back here and had like five, five pews. And side by side, we're just singing, we're just reading the Word of God together. It happens in Ukraine when we were at Salvation Church. I have no clue what the people are saying, but we're just praising God. We're standing under the Word of God where the pastor is preaching the Word of God. It's all unique. 
One commentary puts it this way, there is something to be experienced of God in church that is not, not, so, that is not quite so easy to experience elsewhere. If it is only instruction we need, we can get that by an audio tape or a book or in our case a podcast. If it's only fellowship, we can get together in a small gathering. But if we desire God, we, do, we desire to see the beauty of the Lord, we see it through the worship of the church, just like the ancient Jews. So there are two things we find here in desiring to see God, two things we find here in desiring to see God. We seek God through his word. We seek God through his word, right? Through prayer, through biblical meditation, and through the reading of the Bible. As we read the Bible, like I mentioned earlier, as we read the Bible, really God's examining us at the same time. Number two, we seek God through the church. We seek God through the church. The singing and praising of God and listening to God through the preacher. You see, the fear, the worries, the struggles we have are addressed from the pulpit pulpit, and through the body of Christ. The word of God is fleshed out. We seek God through his word and through the church. And David found the beauty of the Lord in the temple. He trained his heart to focus on one thing, and that is seeking God. For some of us, we might be very religious in being obedient, committed, and maybe seeking God. Maybe that's a good thing, but that will get to you. Some of us are maybe seeking God, not for Him, but only for what He can ultimately give us. You may seem desperate because you want something from God rather than wanting God himself. And that's true. There will always be disappointment in your life. There will always be disappointment. There will always be some type of anxiousness because you're wanting something from God rather than wanting God. But if we seek God for the purpose of enjoying him, we find the results in verses 5 and 6. Here are the results if we seek God for the purpose of enjoying him. Five and six, for he will hide me in a shelter in the day of trouble. He will conceal me under the cover of his tent. He will lift me high upon a rock, and now my head shall be lifted up above my enemies all around me, and I will offer in his tents, tent sacrifices with shouts of joy. I will sing and make melody to the Lord. David is safe by gazing upon the beauty of the Lord. And in seeking God, David found shelter and comfort. Enemies can take away your health. Enemies could take away the people around you, your family, your parents, even your children. But enemies can't touch your shelter or your comfort if it's in God. And here's what it does. Fear, worry, trials, they push you to the highest places spiritually. And we find ourselves exalted above our enemies. That's what it says. We find ourselves exalted above our enemies, where God is. And that's where we could see and savor his beauty. So what are we called to do? What are we called to do? We need to train ourselves and see, really, that the gospel must be more beautiful, must become more beautiful to our mind and more attractive to our heart that we see the beauty of God. Let me say that again. 
the gospel must become more beautiful to our mind and more attractive to our heart that we see the beauty of God. Next, part of our our passage this morning, point two, is we find, like I mentioned, the abrupt turn. We find David's cry to the Lord. David's cry to the Lord. We find David's heartfelt prayer, and now it's addressed in the first person. There are three things this passage shows us. First, we find the cry for acceptance in verses 8 and 9, the cry for acceptance. Right? He says here, Hear, O Lord, when I cry aloud, answer me. It seems that David is in trouble again. And he cries out to God, seeking his face, pleading with God. Right? This should be the cry of all Christians, the cry to God to never leave us. What does he say there? He says, forsake me not. Forsake me not. Yet we find that we live in a world that wants acceptance of all things. And for some of us this morning, we, we want acceptance of others, right? We live through fear of rejection, and so we want to be accepted, and we'll do anything we can to be accepted. Do you find yourself in that predicament where you're always worried what others think? Do you bend the rules for acceptance because we fear that type of rejection? David's prayer really is a cry of acceptance only from God, only from God, and it carries over to verses 9 and 10. Verses 9 and 10, we find the cry for guidance, the cry for guidance. And the focus really hits here, okay, in verses 9 and 10. For my father and my mother have forsaken me, but the Lord will take me in. What is David saying here, right? There's no record of his father or mother ever abandoning him. But that's what he's doing. He's giving us the sense of abandonment. Here's the image, right? David relates to being really an orphan here. No mother or father means a physical abandonment. To some, one of the saddest realities is to not have a mother or father, especially growing up. So whether you have parents or whether you're a parent and you have children, you could relate to this. Maybe there are some people who are close to you who never had a mother or father figure in their home. So the thought here resonates with some of us. Maybe we've been cast out from our father or mother And so David paints this picture of praying to God in light of abandonment. You know, when I'm at home or we're at the park and I'm playing with with my daughter, I I catch her all the time just staring at me. Um, Not because she loves me, but she she wants my, she may love me, but she wants my attention, right? I mean, she could go down the slide 50 times and every time she goes down the slide, she'll look at me because she wants me to say like, yay, right? And so every time, yay, yay, and she looks at me all the time, never relents, right? And she doesn't want me to forget her. She always wants me gazing at her. But there are those whose fathers were never there for them. There are those whose fathers never attended their activities, never present in the home. And so we find that David really gives us a cry of hope here. Listen, listen. 
and read the text here, he gives us this image and circles back to God. Here's what he's saying. He's saying that we have a father that never forgets. A father that will never abandon us. What does he say in verse 10? The Lord will take me in. That's a father that will never abandon us, who will never leave us, who will never hurt us. In the same way, before we became Christians, we were, we were orphans. The Bible says in Ephesians 2, we were followers of the prince of this world. We were lost. We had no hope. We were alone. In Ephesians 1 says, He predestined us for the adoption as His sons through Jesus Christ according to the good pleasure of His will. He adopted us. This is why we have the right to call Him Abba Father. God does not accept us for who we are, but for who He is. And for some of us today who want acceptance, God says, I'm going, I'm, I'm going to accept you. I accepted you because of Jesus Christ. I'm going to be your loving Father and take you in. You will no longer be an orphan. That's what God is saying. I'm the Father who will never forget you. That, that's the greatest acceptance we can ever experience. Last, we find here the cry for protection. The cry for protection. Teach me your way, O Lord, and lead me on a level path. David is saying, as you lead me on this path, as I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, protect me, O Lord. When enemies surround you and they rise against you during the darkest hour, you will live out your greatest psalm and you will cry out for protection. In the darkest hour, you will live out your greatest psalm, as did David. When trouble comes your way, you may get hurt. Fear may creep into your heart. Anxiousness will overtake you at times, but the beauty of the Lord is where your eyes should be focused. Church, are we crying out to God? Are we seeking God? Are we satisfied with the acceptance, the guidance, and the protection that God gives us? In our final point this morning, we find David's conviction of the Lord. David's conviction of the Lord. All of a sudden, it may seem that David regains his confidence in the Lord, right? He began with confidence, which led him to an earnest prayer, and now we find the conviction in David's words. What does he say? I believe that I shall look upon the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. That word, I believe, really is a conviction to be faithful, a conviction to be faithful. And what's interesting about this text is that we don't see the end result. We don't see deliverance. It's only the call to be faithful. That's what he says, when, that's what he means when he says, I believe. You see, the focus is on the deliverer and not deliverance. The focus is on the deliverer and not the deliverance. The deliverance is the goodness of the Lord. Therefore, in waiting, we are called to be faithful, just like David, and look to the Lord. Church, for us, we are to remain faithful in our home, in our families. We are to remain faithful in the church. We are to remain faithful at our jobs. Most importantly, we are to remain faithful to God, who is the author and perfecter of our faith. We won't have the safest life 
We know that. I'm, I'm telling you that. I'm warning you of that. We won't have the safest life. Darkness will come, but just like David, we will see the Lord one day in spite of everything that we are going through. We will see the Lord. Maybe not immediately, but in time. And that's what takes us to our really final sub-point here. It's the conviction to wait. The conviction to wait. For some, we want deliverance immediately. But if we know, and David knew this, the Israelites waited 200 years almost for the great exodus, right? From Genesis to Exodus. Not only that, they weren't delivered then, they were delivered out of slavery, but they were in the wilderness, they were in the desert for 40 years. Two generations later. We all know that David waited. David waited for the Lord to anoint him king. He waited in darkness while people tried to kill him. Therefore, church, we wait. Spurgeon's quote here, he says this, quote, wait, wait at his door with prayer. Wait at his foot with humility. Wait at his table with service. Wait at his window with expectancy. Are you faithful, church? Are you content in waiting for the Lord in spite of your circumstances? Let us prayerfully commit to God that he will make all things good in his own perfect time. Church, let us wait and gaze upon the beauty of the Lord. Let me conclude with some things here. This morning I, I ask you, who is your light? Who is your salvation? Who is your stronghold? Do you gaze upon the beauty of the Lord? Do you open the word, come to church, wanting to see more of God? For some, there are many things we seek in this life. But if your one thing is to seek God, the beauty of the Lord, he will deliver you. He will deliver you in time. God calls us to wait for him. He calls us to wait for him. Yet I know some of us, we come into church where we, we live our lives throughout the week, weary, tired, faint, And so, you know, I said this two weeks ago at, at um, Higher Ground. And I said, church, we're, we're almost home. We're almost home. If you remember in, in, in 2 Timothy 3, it says we are living in the last days. And so, church, we are almost home. And so the charge I have for you this morning is really to, to wait on the Lord, to gaze upon his beauty, knowing that we are almost home, almost home home you know I think a lot of us could relate when it comes to a toddler being in the car um, after a long road trip Piper can't stand long road trips and so she'll start crying right she'll start getting agitated and weary and so one time she was just weeping and she was wailing and she was crying and she was saying I just want to be home I just want to be home and Thea quietly calms her down, and says, Piper, we're almost home. And so on the way home, there's various landmarks that Piper knows. And so we point to these landmarks, right? So you're Thea saying, do you, do you recognize the McDonald's, Piper? Do you recognize the grocery store? We're almost home. 
and before our complex, there's these big trees. And Thea goes, do you see the big trees? We're almost home. And Piper in her weepy voice says, yeah, we're almost home. I recognize those trees. In the same way, God directs us in his word that we're almost home. When we open his word, he's saying we're almost home. No time for worry, no time for fear. Friends, I believe we shall look upon the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. We will look at the beauty of God forever and ever. We are almost home. Let us wait for the Lord. Let us pray. Father, Really, this is a depiction of, of your gospel to where you were alone, you were surrounded by enemies, you were surrounded by darkness when you came into this world. You were indeed a man of sorrows because you saw the darkness in this world. And it's through the darkness that you became the shining light, you became our salvation. You died on the cross for our sins, rose again, so that we can have everlasting joy and so that we could gaze upon the beauty of the Lord. And so, Father, we come with our fear and worry and anxiousness and we lay them on the cross because you died for it. We're almost home, Lord, and we want to wait for you. As a church, we want to prepare for suffering. We want to prepare for dark times. But we come to church so that we can see your beauty. We open your word so that we can see how beautiful you are. Lord, be with the people today. May you bless them. In Jesus' name, amen.